God will take care. God will deal with those who have harmed you and who have not repented. And we have to remember the same lesson to ourselves. When we've harmed others and we have not repented, God will deal with us. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Father, we come before you today, and oh God, we cry out again as we are here for you, for the glory of you, for the fame of your name, to make much of you, oh God. And so as we lift your name on high, God, we give you praise. We thank you for your goodness, for your grace, for your mercy. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place. And oh God, I pray as we open your word right now, would you speak in a powerful way? God, I pray that as the word goes forth, I pray that you would dive deep, dive deep into our hearts right now. Holy Spirit, illuminate like never before God's holy written word right now that we might be changed forever and that we'd go forth from this place on mission for the mission to go make disciples of Jesus that go make disciples of Jesus. Oh God, we love you. We give you the praise. We give you the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your Bible and we continue our study in the book of Philemon. Philemon here looking at verses 15 through 17 today. Philemon verses 15 through 17 and continuing again our study and our series here of simply the pursuit of interceding for others. Oh, I pray that you're being encouraged, but I pray you are being challenged like I am being challenged in preparation for these messages of what it really means to not just talk about interceding for others, to not just give a good lip service to interceding for others, but to truly begin in action, interceding, standing in the gap for others. And today's message is entitled, Graceful Directness Modeled. Let me say that again. Today's message is entitled, Graceful Directness Modeled. You would hear that title and perhaps you would think that that's a large dichotomy, that you have grace and you have directness and they seem to be polar opposite. But I believe we're going to see here today as we unpack God's word that the two can go hand in hand, that we can be graceful, that we can be direct, and we model this to give glory to God. And so here in the verses of 15 through 17 of Philemon, Paul writes here when he says this, for perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever. Now look at verse 16. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you both in the flesh and in the Lord. Now look at verse 17, our final verse for today. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. Paul again, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 
is illuminating this text through the power of the Holy Spirit to the reader then and to us today. And we're seeing so clearly what he's communicating here is this graceful directness is modeled. It's not easy to be graceful and direct at the same time. Typically, the pendulum swings one way or the other. But yet there should be a balance. We need to extend grace. I believe we'd all amen that. We've been extended grace, and we need to receive and extend grace as well. But in addition to that, there are times where we need to be direct. It's important to be direct, to be upfront. And as we look at this text today, we see Paul beautifully doing both. If you remember in our study last time, we looked at verses 12 through 14, and let's use this as context to make sure that we are launching from a contextual springboard that I pray will speak to your heart in a powerful way. You got to remember that in verses 12 through 14, Paul came out of that gate swing and he said this, that, hey Philemon, I am sending Onesimus back to you. You therefore receive him. Now don't miss that because we're going to look at that same word again today. And Paul even gave it even deeper meaning when he said, receive him, that is my own heart. Remember that. I mean, this is so important to Paul. Onesimus has been changed. He is not the same man that left Philemon's household, that left his presence and ran to Rome. He is a changed man. He is no longer the old Onesimus. He's the new Onesimus who now knows this Jesus who is called the Christ. But you also have to remember, as Paul is speaking in that text, he says, whom I wish to keep with me. There was a longing that he would be able to keep Onesimus with him. He's the new son in the faith, as Paul has led him to the Lord. And he would love to have a brother around him to encourage him in the ministry as he's imprisoned in Rome. But then you also got to remember that Paul said, even though this is my desire in the flesh, I want God's purpose. I want God's purpose over my personal preference. And what a glorious, glorious message that is for me and you today. We should always, under every circumstance, desire and push for and plead for that God would have His way over our way, that we would pursue God's glory, His purposes over our personal preferences. Now, that's hard, though. That's not easy. In the flesh, that is very difficult to deny self and take up the cross and follow him. But Paul is modeling this so beautifully, and we need to take note. He says, but without your consent, speaking to Philemon, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. This is such glorious, such glorious context And it sets up so beautifully our verse 15 as we launch today when Paul then just rolls into this statement. He says this, for perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose that you might receive him forever. Wow, isn't that awesome? Who is Paul talking about when he says, for perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose? Well, again, not a trick question. He's referring to Onesimus. And it's so beautiful when you look at this, this for perhaps he departed. Literally means this, to separate oneself from something or someone. Notice that Paul didn't say Onesimus escaped. He didn't say that he went AWOL. Now he could have. 
He could have said those truthful points of the story. He could have said, well, for perhaps Onesimus escaped. For perhaps Onesimus, he went AWOL. For perhaps Onesimus went berserk and he left and couldn't handle it, is what Paul could have said. But he didn't say that. He said, for perhaps he departed. Very graceful in his wording there. For perhaps he separated himself and removed himself. So gracious in this very difficult situation. For this purpose, for what? A definite point of time. A moment in time. The reason, if you will, for which something is done. There's a purpose here for perhaps this purpose. And this is so key because Paul is getting to a very, very divine point here. When he's setting this up, he's giving this picture and this imagery as he's taking his paintbrush and painting back and forth for Philemon in this letter, if you will. And he's saying, look, I want to show you for perhaps here's a reason why he did this. For perhaps that he did this, he departed a while for this purpose that you might receive him forever. In this good, again, there's that word receive. Receive. What's it mean to receive in holy, to receive in full, not partially? That you would receive him in, that it would not be a partial receiving, not a half hearted receiving. Not a, oh, brother, you're back here. I got to receive you. No, this again, as we talked before, is an open arms, a arms wide open receiving of Onesimus. And he adds this word Paul does to the phrase. He says, receive him for how long? A day? A week? A month? Oh, okay. A year. No, that's not what he said. He said, receive him forever look at the beautiful picture being painted here by paul he's saying i want you to consider this is really what he's saying for perhaps he departed for a while a season a moment in time for this divine this exact purpose here it is that you might actually receive him forever Oh, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that glorious? It's so encouraging that you see Paul and he's painting the picture. He's showing Philemon that God has a plan, that God has a hope, that God has a divine sovereign initiative for his life, for Philemon's life, for Onesimus' life, and God has one for you as well. See, that forever is so powerful. It means no end. It means that it will never cease. See, when we are truly in Christ, we are brothers and sisters in Christ forever. Isn't that so glorious? That when we are truly in Christ, we are tethered and bound by the affection and the bond of love through the royal righteous blood of Jesus, not temporarily, not for a moment, but yes, forever. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God for those who are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Think about this, church family. 
Onesimus left to ultimately return. Onesimus left spiritually blind, but returned able to spiritually see. Onesimus left as a criminal, but returned, but returned as a free man in Christ. See, that's what God does through that royal righteous blood of his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Yes, there are consequences to our sin in this life. But it's so glorious and so beautiful that whom the Son sets free is spiritually free indeed for all eternity when they've truly given their hearts and lives to him. I want to make a note of this. This perhaps... Here in verse 15 is a glorious, beautiful example of the sovereignty and the providence of God and what some refer to as a theological reflection. So I want you to put yourself in Paul's shoes. Put yourself at Paul's desk, so to speak, as he's penning this and writing this. Put yourself in his situation. And he is gracefully being direct with Philemon. And he wants to say, hey, Philemon, I want you to consider this option, this theological reflection. As I read verse 15 again, I want you to look at the depth and reflect for just a moment here on the directness of this, of what we call the why. The why. Let's look together here for just a moment at the why. Verse 15 again, for perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose... There's the why, that you might actually receive him forever. I want us to ask ourselves three questions right now. Three questions in this theological reflection. Because maybe today, maybe it's your life, maybe it's someone else's life, that even right now, right now as you are needing to intercede, or perhaps right now as you are interceding in a process for someone else, that there is a theological reflection going on. That in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the heartache, in the midst of the pain of your life today, and all that's going on, perhaps the nonsense and the relationships that have been destroyed and are being destroyed, and all that goes on in our world. Perhaps for this purpose is what God is trying to teach you in the midst of your brokenness. And this is a great time, church family, to look at this type of theological reflection and ask ourselves these three questions. Number one, in the midst of your situation, what is God up to in the midst of my trial? Make a note of that. As you're in the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the heartache, just pause for a moment, pump the brakes, catch your breath, and ask God, Hey God, what are you up to? What are you up to in the midst of my pain? What are you up to in the midst of this broken relationship? What are you up to in the midst of things not going my way? What are you up to, God? Number two, ask God, what are you trying to teach me? What are you attempting to teach me in the midst of my trial? 
Number one, what is God up to in the midst of the trial? Number two, what is God attempting to teach me in the midst of my trial? And then number three, who, who, who does God desire for me to minister to in the midst of my trial? Well, that's a toughie, isn't it? I mean, in the midst of trials, there's typically not a whole lot of wanting to minister going on. I don't know about you, but when I'm in the midst of a trial, I want to be ministered to. I'm not looking to minister to someone else. I want to be ministered to. And yet, as we learned here in the preceding text of this great short letter, this private letter to Philemon from Paul, Paul's in the midst of his prison, and here he is. Here Paul is on the outlook going, who can I minister to? Who can I intercede for? As mentioned in verse 15 that we just looked at, God's sovereignty and his providence are on full display. They're on full display for all the world to see in this text. One might argue, and I get this, that Onesimus went AWOL and ran for Rome and that this actually did lead to his salvation. I get this. I understand this argument. And we have to look through the lens of God's sovereignty and perhaps that's exactly what he did. He allowed this to happen. We see he allowed it to happen. And so Onesimus goes to Rome. He intercedes with Paul by divine circumstance. And he comes to know this Jesus who is called the Christ. But let me put a footnote here. Let me put a footnote. I would never, I would never advise anyone to go dive deep into sin so that you can therefore prayerfully on the back end come to know this Jesus who is called the Christ. Because even if that did happen, even if that did happen, we have to always understand this, that there are always consequences to sin. And maybe that's you here today. Maybe you've lived a life that you have come to know the Lord. And I pray that everyone here today knows Jesus and he knows you. But you and I in the room today know this, that as the old phrase goes, sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go. It will keep you far longer than you ever wanted to stay. And it will, it will, it will require a price far greater than you ever wanted to pay. And that's why I want you to write down key number one. Write this down in your notes. So pivotal. Key number one. If I'm to intercede for others, I must embrace that what men mean for evil, God can use for good and for his glory. Key number one. If I'm to intercede for others, I must embrace that what men mean for evil, God can use for good and for his glory. Think about this thought for a minute. Just think about this for a moment. Just pause. The worst place that God leads you in obedience to him, the worst place, is infinitely better than any place we lead ourselves while walking in disobedience to God. Let me say that again. The worst place, picture it right now, the worst place, maybe for you, it's going to Africa and living in a hut, and that's where God sends you in obedience. 
the worst place that God sends you in obedience to him is infinitely. Like we're talking, it doesn't even register it's so infinite. It is infinitely better than any place that we lead ourselves in disobedience to God. See, so many people are living a life with one hand on Jesus and one hand on the world. And they're claiming they know Christ. There's very little, if any, fruit, spiritual fruit, that is, Galatians 5, in their life. And yet what happens is this. We begin to see lives that continue to erode. We begin to see homes and and churches that erode. Because disobedience never, never, never brings God's blessing. The worst place he leads you in obedience to him is infinitely greater than any place we lead ourselves in disobedience to him. Think about Genesis. Write this down. Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 21. Genesis 50, 15 through 21. You remember this account. It's a Joseph And here Joseph is at the end there, his father has passed away, and he's risen to the ranks because of obedience. And here's what the word of God says. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, you know that was an uh uh-oh moment, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. Boy, it's kind of like when your brothers and sisters growing up, right? And, boy, you do all those things to them. Boy, you're, you're giving them noogies. And then you are doing all this stuff. And you are irritating them. And you are backbiting. And you are instigating. And sure enough, there's always a day when our sin will find us out. There's always a day whenever, uh-oh, the price must be paid. Well, that's their thought here in verse 15 of 50 of Genesis. Verse 16. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, Before your father died, he commanded saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin. For they did evil to you. Now please, now please, Forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. Now look how the narrative changes. And Joseph wept. That's his response. When they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face. And they said, behold, we are your servants. Wow, the script has been flipped. Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. For am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Verse 21, now therefore do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Do you see what God does in the midst of the trials, in the midst of your brokenness today? As you and I are both prayerfully and hopefully looking to be gracefully direct in the midst of interceding for others, do you see how God works? Joseph, in the midst of all he went through, 
And God, through his sovereign plan and Joseph's obedience, he took him from the pit and sent him to the palace. He took him from the pit and he sent him to the palace. See, that's what God does in obedience. That's what God does when we're obedient to him. He makes a way where there seems to be no way. And Joseph's response to his brothers and their humility. He weeps. As they say, oh, here we are. Behold, your servants. Joseph comforts them and says, oh, do not be afraid. And then he asks this powerful, powerful question. He says, for am I in the place of God? Let me ask you a question. That in the midst of people doing evil to you, when you do the right thing and you stand tall for the gospel and you do what you need to do in obedience to God, when you get to the point in your life where it's the place you want to go, will you truthfully be able to say, am I in the place of God? Let me ask it this way. Perhaps that you are walking in your life today and you're walking in disobedience. Will you truthfully be able to look at God and say, for am I in the place that you called me to? See, God works in mysterious ways and he uses our pain in his sovereign divine plan. And that's exactly what's going on in the midst of Philemon and Onesimus and Paul. God is showing off his glory. He's showing off his providence. He's showing off his sovereignty in the midst of these three guys because he's taken Onesimus who committed a great sin and he ran away and went AWOL and he divinely connected him to Paul a thousand miles away. Paul led him to the Lord and now Paul is sending him back to do the right thing to Philemon who, oh, by the way, was also led to the Lord by Paul. And Paul's interceding gracefully and directly, and he's saying, look, I need you to receive this brother and receive him with joy. One person said it like this regarding our trials. When everything around us is falling apart, when everything we thought of as dependable, when all that we once held dear is turned upside down, we can absolutely count on God. Do you believe that today? When your world is turned upside down, when you don't know what you're going to do next, when you seem like there is no hope in your life, do you see today, dear one, that you can totally depend on God? Do you see that? Do you believe that today? You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. Look at verse 16 as Paul continues in this beautiful, beautiful narrative. He says, no longer as a slave, referring to Onesimus, but more than a slave. Don't miss that. A beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. I love this. No longer this slave, no longer this servant 
Oh, he's been changed. He's been converted. His life is no longer his own. He is now a beloved brother. He is highly esteemed. He is, yes, that fellow believer in Christ Jesus that only comes from being in Christ Jesus. Their hearts are now knit together. They're tethered as one. He's saying, look, 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 Philemon. I no longer want you to look through the fleshly lens of what Onesimus did. I want you now to look through a spiritual lens at what Onesimus has now become. You could say this is Paul giving the big reveal of the new Onesimus. Not the old Onesimus. That man is dead. He's buried. He's gone. No, this is the new Onesimus who is alive and well in Christ. You've seen those shows on TV or some sort of big reveal, I'm sure, on the internet. Something's going on in someone's world and they have this big announcement, this great news. And sure enough, this big reveal of a life that's been transformed, a house that's been transformed. Uh, They pull back the curtain metaphorically. They show you what was the old and they reveal the new. That's exactly what's going on here. Paul is pulling back the curtain for Philemon and saying, look, I know you have this visual of this Onesimus behind the old curtain, but let me pull that back right now and show you the new man in Christ. But not just as a brother, which is good, but a beloved brother. How does one go from a runaway servant To a beloved brother. How does this even happen? How do you explain this in the flesh? Well, you can't. The only way one goes from a runaway servant to a beloved brother is only, is only by the grace and mercy of God through the blood and sanctifying, redeeming power of Jesus Christ and none other. And also you can't forget that Paul is also emphasizing here to Philemon to begin to look at Onesimus in just not a new light as a brother in Christ, but think about in a fleshly, earthly relationship how that relationship will now be new. So key, so key as we think about our own lives and how we want to intercede for others and be that one that stands in the gap. There are such great lessons that we pull from this, that we learn from this, that we glean from God's Word. Because he does say in the flesh, in the physical. But then he makes this statement that Onesimus is just not new in the flesh, but he's new in the Lord. Remember we talk about in the Lord. Literally that word Lord means this, that it's He to whom someone is now owned by or possessed by. But it goes even deeper in this context because there's now oneness in Christ in the spiritual realm. See, this is one of the least taught doctrines in Scripture that should be taught. And it's simply this, that when you and I give our lives to Christ, this is no longer a democracy. We're no longer on the throne. 
Even though there is a throne war going on in our lives because we want to be on the throne. We want to be king. We want to be queen. We want to be in charge. We want to be the governor. We want to be the president of our lives. God says this through his word. He's saying, look, if you really want to come to know me, you got to give up you so you truly do come to know me through Jesus. And that's the only way this can happen. Jesus is the victor and we are benefactors of his victory. Yes, we are heirs. Yes, we are adopted sons and daughters. Amen, amen, amen. But it's Jesus who is always the hero of the story. We're not the hero. It's what he did. It's what he sacrificed. He gave his life. We're the ones that should have died that death. He's the one that stood in the gap. Jesus is the one who interceded for us, that he modeled all these things we're learning in this tiny little letter of Philemon. Jesus is the one that said, I will take your place. I will die the death you should have died. Jesus is always the victor. He's not satisfied for being second place. He's not satisfied if we just give him a blue ribbon. No, he is king and he is king alone. And yet in the midst of this, we got to remember that unfortunately in that first century Rome, they had this demonic practice of slavery. It's what they did. We don't endorse it. It's evil. And yet here you have Paul appealing to Philemon to show a watching world that the gospel, listen church family, the gospel has the power over both spiritual and physical slavery. Freedom in Christ truly transforms all, all human hurdles. And that's why key number two is so important. Key number two, I want you to write it down in your notes. Key number two, if I am to intercede for others, I must believe that God can do the impossible. How many of you today believe that God can do the impossible? Raise your hands. I believe it too. I believe God can do the impossible. Does it mean he's always going to do the impossible in our lives? Of course not. This is not health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. But I know this, so many times the pendulum swings the other way. We want to stay so far away from that heresy that we end up going to this other side of the pendulum where we don't believe God at all. I've seen this many times in my travels. That many times when we pray and we pray hard and we ask God, will you, will you please God? Will you answer this prayer according to this purpose and this way? And yes, nevertheless, and we pray all of those things that are God things, but we pray hard for an outcome. And I've seen this happen over and over and over that when God relents and he grants according to the wishes of that prayer, there's many times where that prayer who's been petitioning God for days and months and sometimes even years, they are the one that's most surprise when God comes through. We don't name it and claim it. Of course not. But let's have faith in God. That if it be his will, we know he can. We believe it. Oh, we know you can, God. We know you can restore that marriage, God. We know you can do it. Oh, God, we believe by faith that you can take that wayward son, that wayward daughter. You can bring them to you. You can draw them and woo and stir them to you. Oh, God, we believe it. 
Oh God, we know that perhaps you're going through a difficult time today financially. And we know God owns the cattle on a thousand hills and every beast of the field is his. If it be his will, he can take zero, I mean zero effort and change your situation for his glory in a heartbeat. He can do it. Is he going to do these things? I can't promise you that. I'm not God. But I know this confidently. I know without a shadow of doubt that my God is able if it be his will. And you got to remember that big trials are a big platform for the big God to show off how big he really is. Oh, don't miss that. You got to remember that big trials are a big platform for the big God to show how big he really is. Remember, Onesimus means useful and profitable. And as this new creation in Christ, that all things have become new in his life, he is now living up to his name. This seems absolutely ridiculous. Doesn't even make any sense in the flesh. But you got to remember, we don't operate by sight. We operate and we walk by faith. Think about Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, verses 3 through 7. Galatians 4, 3 through 7. Paul writes here to the church in Galatians, he says this, Even so, when we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Now look at verse 5. Here's the why. To redeem, to purchase, to buy back those who were under the law. Why? That we might receive, there's that word receive, the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit, capital S, of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. That's a hallelujah shouting time moment, amen? I don't know what your day has been like. I don't know how discouraging it's been. That is great news. That is great news. That we are no longer slaves, but we are heirs and sons and daughters. But again, understand this. We are not the victor. It's always Christ Jesus who is the victor. We partake in the victory, but he is the one that accomplished the victory because it truly is victory in Jesus. Amen. Think also about Acts 26. I love this text. Paul here is recounting his conversion. Acts 26. Write it down. Acts 26, verse 14 through 18. Love this. Here's what is said in Acts 26, 14 through 18. And when we had all fallen to the ground, as Paul is recounting this conversion, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Capital M. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. Oh, don't miss this. Here goes a theological reflection. 
Here we go. For this purpose. Here's the why. To make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. He's got a new mission. And look at the why here in verse 18. To open their eyes. To open their eyes. So they will spiritually see. To open their eyes, he says, in order. Don't miss this. To turn them. To turn them from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan to God. That they may, here we go, church family, receive. Receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified, who are made holy, who are set apart by faith in me, capital M, Jesus. Wow. Is that not good? See, that's what Jesus does. He takes us from the pit of hell and conveys us into the marvelous light of himself He takes us and sanctifies us. He redeems us. He justifies us and declares us righteous. Oh, this is what happens for the true believer in Christ. And as you intercede today for someone else, perhaps it's your pain, your brokenness that God is going to use in a sovereign, divine, providential way to lead someone else to the cross of Jesus Christ. So what is God speaking to you today? What are you hearing from the Holy Spirit right now? What is he saying to you right now about interceding for someone else? What is he saying, the Holy Spirit, about being gracefully direct? And so what does Paul say in verse 17? He says, if then, don't miss this, he's setting this thing up. Paul is so, so beautifully laying this out. If then you count me as a partner... Receive him as you would me. Count me. What does that mean? What is Paul trying to communicate here? If you regard me, if you consider me to be closely joined to, is what he's saying, as a partner, a companion, a comrade in the battle, that being linked in fellowship, if you truly, truly regard me as this, that we are comrades in the faith, that we are comrades in the battle for the glory of God. If you really believe this, then do this. Receive him. Receive Onesimus. Take him in. Grant access to your hearts. Do it in such a way that, again, it's open arms. Uh, This is not folded arms. This is not grumpy, droopy shoulders. I will receive you. This is a joyful expression of the grace and the mercy of God, Philemon, in your life that I want you, Paul, to show to Onesimus. I want you to fling the doors wide open of your heart and your mind and your soul and joyfully, joyfully receive him back. And yet this is a big ask from Paul, isn't it? Again, as we've said before, but we need to repeat it. When a servant ran away in that culture, it was a capital offense. This wasn't stealing bubble gum. This wasn't paper airplanes while the substitute teacher was in class. This is a serious capital offense. Branded, seared as a runaway. Beaten. And yet even executed at some times. And Paul is saying, receive Onesimus. 
This does not make any logical human sense. Forgive and restore him. Show a watching world the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. And here really what Paul is saying is this. Obey, follow God, follow Christ Jesus your Lord in this obedience and trust God with the consequences of the obedience that will follow as you trust Him and walk by faith and not by circumstance. Perhaps some of us need to do the exact same thing today that God is showing and directing and you know exactly what you need to do today. And yet we make excuse after excuse, don't we? There are times where we will even use prayer as the excuse. Well, I'm praying about it. Well, that's a good thing. We want to pray about it. We want to seek the Lord. But I believe there's times in my life and in your life as well where we actually use prayer as the excuse. There are times in my life and your life that we know exactly what we are supposed to do, that God has actually already given the green light, and we just don't want to do it. We don't want to obey. We know it's going to be difficult. We know there's going to be a price to pay. But yet we must obey God because we got to remember any place that we go in disobedience to God is going to be infinitely worse, infinitely worse than any place he leads us in obedience to him. And what Paul is doing in verse 17 here is he is lovingly, gracefully, mercifully, tightening the screws. You could say the verse might read something like this in layman's terms. Uh, hey, Philemon, this is Paul. If you really count me as a partner, if you really count me as a friend, and even a fellow worker in the gospel, forgive, receive, embrace Onesimus because he has repented and he is a changed man. So you got to remember as was mentioned previously, that Paul was a lost man who came to faith in Christ. Philemon also was a lost man who came to faith in Christ under Paul's ministry. Onesimus was a lost man who came to faith in Christ under Paul's ministry as well. Paul and Philemon are now ministry partners. Paul's appealing and reminding Philemon that if you are going to accept me, then you have to accept the new man Onesimus as well. See, receive him. Receive him as you would receive me. Paul is saying, treat Onesimus as you would treat me. Don't stay focused on the past, the old man. And that is so hard in the flesh, isn't it? For you today, who've been wounded and hurt by someone else, one of the biggest struggles in my life and your life today is when we have been hurt and wounded by someone else, it is so difficult to get past who they once were. Now, again, this is assuming that they've come to know Jesus. Now, it gets really, really tricky if you and I cannot get past who they were and who they still are. That becomes really tricky. Our job is not to enact revenge. We're not to enact bitterness or unforgiveness. Our job, our role, is to release them to the Lord because vengeance is mine, says the Lord. God will take care. God will deal with those who have harmed you and who have not repented. And we have to remember the same lesson to ourselves. When we've harmed others and we have not repented, God will deal with us. 
And that's why I want you to write down key number three. Write this down in your notes. So important. Key number three. Here it is. If I am to intercede for others, I must not hold someone hostage for the wrongs they have committed against me. Let me say that again. This is a toughie. This is hard. We can't do this in our flesh. This will take a work of the Holy Spirit within us. Key number three again. Here it is. If I am to intercede for others, I must not hold someone hostage for the wrongs they have committed against me. See, Paul, with this potent combination of grace and directness, is inviting mercifully, is inviting Philemon to do the right thing. Not just a good thing. Not even just the right thing. He's inviting him to do the God thing. And welcome back humble, repentant Onesimus. And give him a second chance. This is what this letter is all about. The letter of Philemon is all about second chances. And Paul is imploring him. He continues to paint this picture of who he once was, of who Philemon once was. And now he's saying, look, that's who we once were. The same goes for Onesimus. He, like me, and he, like you, Philemon, is a changed man by the glory of God. And yet the reality is that at times, our hearts and minds are so depraved that when a repentant person comes to us and says, hey, I repent, please forgive me, there are times when we are still so depraved in the flesh, if we're truthfully honest, we may verbalize and say, I forgive you, but there are times, I'm sure we've all done this to some degree, that we still, even if it's just a sliver of hanging on to, we still hold them hostage to some degree for the past sin. And the way to no longer do this in my life and your life is this. Let me ask a question. Anyone besides me? Anyone besides me glad that God is not holding you hostage for your past sin? Aren't you glad that God is not holding you hostage? He's not holding me hostage? See, we must extend that same mindset to those who sin against us. And that's why at the core of this text, at the core of this text, the meaty part of this text is one simple question. Will Philemon humble himself to forgive and embrace repentant Onesimus with the same manner of forgiveness that Christ extended to him. That is the core of this message. That's the core of this text. Will Philemon lavish the same grace and mercy and forgiveness on Onesimus that Christ lavished on him as well? And we have to look in the mirror and ask ourselves the same question. Will we, will I, will you, will you extend, will I extend Will you lavish, will I lavish the same extent of forgiveness and mercy and grace to those that harm us as what Christ extended to us as we nailed him to a cross? The reality is that when we, me and you, do not forgive, we are being prideful. Let's just call it what it is. We're being arrogant. We're being selfish. 
And selfishness leads to discord. Discord leads to disunity. Disunity leads to God's wrath. And when God is ticked off, He will remove His hand. Don't miss this. He will remove His hand from those who are rebellious and stiff-necked. He will remove at some point when there is a rebellious, stiff-necked spirit and there is not humility, there's not contrition, there's not meekness, there's not a humbling of one's heart and mind and soul to say, you know what, I was wrong. If that continues indefinitely, God will remove his hand. And that's why someone once said a beautiful thought, so simple, when they said the path to spiritual maturity is paved with the stones of repentance. Think about that. Someone once said the path to spiritual maturity is paved with the stones of repentance. How about you today? What is God asking you today as you intercede, as you model graceful directness? What is God asking you to do right now? Think for a moment on Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 through 44. Think about this. This is Jesus saying, You have heard that it was said, that's the culture, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what our world says, right? But I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, not the world, not the culture, this is Jesus. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Wow, oh wow. How can you and I ever accomplish that apart from Jesus? The answer is you can't. If you are attempting to accomplish that in your own strength, you are on a fool's errand. You are on a cul-de-sac going nowhere. You are on a treadmill that will continue to go at a very high rate of speed, but make zero progress in your momentum going forward. Think about the illustration of this so beautifully laid out of a forgiving spirit in Acts chapter 7, verses 54 through 60. In Acts chapter 7, verses 54 through 60. This is Stephen, and it says this, when they heard these things, this of course is Stephen speaking to the people, and he's throwing down, he's not mincing words, they were cut to the heart. See, Stephen got gracefully really, really direct, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. Anyone ever had someone gnash their teeth at them? Uh, don't take that as a compliment if they do. Don't take them as a high sign. Hey, we like you. You're pretty good. No, they are gnashing their teeth at him. You got to remember that when people walk in holiness and the light, those that are walking in deception and the dark get really, really upset. They become incensed. And here they begin to gnash their teeth at him. They don't want to be exposed. They don't like the truth. They want to walk in the darkness and they don't even know what makes them stumble. They're so deceived and deluded and seduced. Verse 55 of Acts 7 goes on. But he, Stephen, I love this, 
being full of the Holy Spirit. I pray that's your goal and my goal today. Don't you want to be a man and a woman and a student and a child that is full of the Holy Spirit? Gazed into heaven, he did. And he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears. They ran at him with one accord. Do you picture the vengeance, the wrath? And they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. That right there is the power of the cross and the empty tomb. He was gracefully direct, Stephen was. He did it as he interceded for them to attempt to get them to see the truth of the matter. And he did it in such a way that was very, very direct. But as he came at them with the grace of God, their response was one of hate and venom and poison and toxicity. And yet he did not respond like that. He said, look, I see the Son of Man not sitting. I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Oh, he's there to welcome me into my reward is what he's saying. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your rest. And even as Saul, before he was converted, on that Damascus road, and he stood there as they stoned Stephen, Stephen's response was not bitterness, not unforgiveness, not retribution, not one of these, I'm going to show them. No, he simply says, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. How about you? Is there someone in your life today that you just want to get back at them? You want to show them? You want to hurt them like they hurt you? Charles Spurgeon answered that question well. When he said, none of us come to the highest maturity without enduring the summer heat of trials. None of us, Spurgeon said, come to the highest maturity without enduring the summer heat of trials. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.